We may be a day late, but we're not a dollar short. We're talking playoff races, expansion news, and more on this episode of the Indie Ball Report Podcast. All right, we are back again. Episode number 130 of the Indie Ball Report Podcast, the actual episode 130 now. I'm Nick. He's Will. I'm back from vacation. We're going to be recording this now on Saturday night. And now you're going to get an even more up-to-date playoff picture as there's about two days left in the American Association playoffs. There's about a week left in the Frontier League playoffs. And once we're kind of through that, we're going to be talking exclusively Atlantic League. But this week's mainly focused on those two other leagues with a couple notable exceptions in the news department. That's the interesting thing, I think, for this year, just because the Atlantic League ends so much later. So at this time of the year, we're really we're really harping on the American Association. We're really harping on the Frontier League. And even though we're recording on a Saturday, uh, same, same great content, just, uh, just, uh, just a couple days later. Exactly, yeah. It's kind of weird. We haven't actually recorded on a Friday in like a couple weeks now because last week we recorded on a Thursday. Now we're recording on a Saturday. So it's just, it's funny how that winds up working out. Exactly. Yeah. But, you know, more more up to date, and that's never a bad thing. Exactly. Because, I mean, really, if we would have recorded, like, late last night, imagine how many things we would have said would have been out of date by, like, 7 o'clock today. Probably a lot. <laughs> a lot, yeah. Yeah. So with that, we'll probably get into the news first here. I think that's probably the best place to start before we get into those playoff races. Not only because, you know, we normally do news first on this show, but also because there's still games going on while we're recording this at like 1030 at night. So hopefully by the time we're done with news, those games wrap up and we'll be able to have a real complete playoff picture uh, going into the home stretch for those leagues. So without further ado, we'll start with, I guess, the real big ticket news uh, from last week, which was... The Hagerstown expansion in the Atlantic League became officially official now uh, as they have a ballpark plan in place, as in they have the money approved. I don't believe the actual design plan has been approved for Hagerstown, as in which one they're going to pick, although they do have the money in hand. And the four plans that uh, they're choosing from, I all imagine, have some sort of preliminary approval and it's just a matter of rubber snapping everything. But if you don't recall from earlier this year, or late last year, I believe, when we first started talking about Hagerstown, and I was calling it Haggardstown, and the condition attached to their expansion into the Atlantic League after losing their affiliation was they needed a brand new ballpark. And that was really on the Maryland Stadium Authority, as well as local leadership and ownership, to really try and get the money together to build that ballpark. And they finally did. The ballpark should be roughly in the neighborhood of about $65 million, give or take, on the other side. All their plans call for a 5,000-seat stadium. The team should join in 2023 and is owned by Howard Blackie Bowen, Don Bowman, Frank Bolton, because he's always attached to these kinds of projects, and the name that I've been putting off saying because, again, the pronunciations are a challenge here, and, uh, well, James Holzefell, I believe so that's pronounced, is not exactly a layup. So, uh, yeah, we're going to have Hagerstown in this league. 
Southern Maryland's going to have a natural rival. I don't believe they're terribly far from York or Lancaster either. So maybe if we can get to 12 teams, we have a makeshift uh, four-team division in the works. And we knew this was kind of coming down the hatch for a while. It's, like you mentioned, it's just a matter of kind of rubber stamping things. Good to know that the Atlantic League definitely has wanted to bring in Hagerstown for a little bit now. And glad it finally got done. I think that the point you bring up about Southern Maryland having a natural rival is, is so important because Southern Maryland and where they play in Waldorf, there obviously there's plenty of different parts of Maryland, but in Waldorf, it's very, it's really out there. It's not really close to anything. It's always a drive for every team that goes to Southern Maryland, no matter what. Bringing in a team like Hagerstown is is really going to help that aspect. It really makes the the Atlantic League, it makes it flow better geographical-wise. That's a really good thing. But on the other hand, and of course you have the new stadium as well, which who doesn't love a new stadium in, uh, in, in Hagerstown? That's certainly a good thing in downtown Hagerstown. However, let's not, and the old stadium has something to do with it just because of how old it was, but the attendance was really low, really, really, really low at the end of uh, at the end of the, the Hager- Hagerstown's time as a Washington Nationals affiliate. And of course, I think the stadium has something to do with that. And attendance isn't just—it's not as clear cut as people want to make it out to be. Just throwing it out, just throwing out numbers and how many yeah. people attend games. Uh, but that being said, I, I think that it's something to consider and, and uh, something that this ownership group uh, is definitely going to have to work on. You are going from affiliated ball uh, to partner league ball. There is that stigma, and you have to appeal uh, to a new fan base in that sense. So that's going to be the challenge that's um, that, that's set out for them. But if looking at it on paper, it looks great. Uh, again, like a 5,000-seat stadium really kind of hammering home this idea of let's cut down the seats. Let's increase the amenities for, uh, for families that, that go to the ballpark and just looking at like the illustration and what the stadium is allegedly supposed to look like. Uh, You got like some bleachers out in left field. So maybe not, uh, maybe not as much of a, well, it looks like a walk around, walk around concourse. Uh, But it's, uh, it certainly looks like a nice stadium uh, coming in in 2023. Uh, definitely exciting news for the Atlantic League, but they the, let's not act like the ownership doesn't have its work cut out for them in this community because they definitely do. Yeah, I, I think that you're right. The stadium does play a large part in that uh, end of 2019, I believe it was their last season attendance here. And I'm going to try and pull up the, the South Atlantic League attendance numbers here just so i i can get that correct uh which i do wonder if now going back to having because i believe they were in the south atlantic league yeah, yeah that's correct it was the, it was the south atlantic league if i remember correctly i'm pretty sure they were like near a thousand maybe under yeah because i'm looking here and they play they had a 65 and 75 record in their last season they drew under 60,000 fans I do wonder if having a couple of teams that, you know, maybe have some brand familiarity in the Atlantic League and the Legends and the West Virginia Power, although the Power seem to be pretty committed to going on a uh, Charlie's-like rebrand, 
I do wonder if having some brand familiarity, a higher level of play, because clearly, you know, what was it? Low A, high A, roughly A ball. The South Atlantic League was. And the Atlantic League is clearly a higher level of play, even though we've had our our conversations about that in the past. A higher level of play with more recognizable names will probably help. Having more regional rivals will probably help. A new ballpark will definitely help. But you're all right, Will. They need to do more to raise that expectation of fans in those seats here because the attendance just was not where it needed to be in that 2019 season. Now, I think there's going to be a bit of a bump if for no other reason the new team and new stadium are going to draw people in. And also, it's kind of hard to do worse than uh, 1,160 fans per game. But uh, the attendance isn't a concern, certainly. That is a good thing, that you, that it can't be worse, certainly. But uh, certainly a lot of work cut out for them. And again, I, I think the old stadium definitely has something to do with that. The brand familiarity in that sense, of talking about the power and talking about the legends, is an interesting point, actually. Uh, I, I, ne- I never really thought of that. Of course, you're going to have more teams, uh, and honestly, they probably won't even be in the same division. Uh, mm. But I, I think that could that part of it certainly couldn't hurt either. But it, yeah. it, I think it's exciting. It, it, it's a good market to move into, a good former affiliated market to move into that has definitely had its good days. Uh, it's definitely yeah. had its good days in the past, but I'm excited to see how it goes. Excited to see the ballpark construction start. I think we talked about this possibility a while ago that, oh, what if the Atlantic League wants to bring them in right away? What if they want them to uh, to put them in the old stadium with under an agreement that a new stadium gets built? I was never a fan of that just because if something falls through, you're basically screwed and you're back yeah. to square one. I think that the way the Atlantic League handled the Hagerstown situation was very good, I think. And uh, and I'm really hoping it works out well because I really do think the the ceiling, for lack, a lack of a better term, is is really high for bringing in a market like Hagerstown in, that, in a state like Maryland, where you're really right in the middle of the league. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with that. And it also brings much-needed bright spot to the Atlantic League, given the news of the past couple of weeks from them. It definitely is positive news for them. And I I want to go back to just what division they're going to be in. And I do wonder if the Salem rumor that we're going to talk about in just a second, if that comes to be true, then does that mean that you could say, all right, well, maybe Hagerstown goes with Staten Island to the north and we just try to find one other southern market to stick with Salem to get to 12. Because keep in mind, for 2022 now, we're going to be at 9, which probably means a Road Warrior team for 22 until Hagerstown gets there in 23. And then 24 would be your plan to try and find two other teams uh, to kind of level it out. Or you just say 10's good. I think 12's probably the number they want to be at. We've heard them say in the past 12's the number they want to be at, at least. So I wouldn't be shocked on that, especially if, you know, Salem's a market that they're targeting, which, you know, has been rumored for a couple months now. And we've talked about this, Will. You've been vocal on that, saying, you know, the Red Sox want Lowell, and that means Salem's probably the odd man out, which makes it pretty good for the Atlantic League, which obviously then if you're at 11, you need to find a 12th team because you can't sit at 11. I think the Salem, just the Salem idea, and again, um, just to go over it really quickly, what I was thinking a while ago is just that when the, when the Red Sox put out a statement about Lowell and not, not putting them an affiliate for this year, 
I, I think that they really kind of left the door open. Uh, the fact that Lowell, in as good of a market as it is for baseball, and the ballpark's pretty nice up there, just the fact that they didn't enter a league this year, uh, that they didn't get picked up by a partner league, was really curious if there was nothing else going on, just because it seemed like it would be a prime destination in the same way that Tri-City really was for the Frontier League. It just didn't make a whole lot of sense. Uh, we've heard rumblings of Salem in the past, uh, and, and it makes some sense. It's kind of like kind of that, that northern central part of Virginia, which is not the worst market to move into. It's kind of right, it's right on the way to going to the Carolinas. So and the ballpark's in, in decent shape. It's not like a, a masterpiece by any stretch, but um, it, it, it's in pretty solid shape. And I, I think that that's definitely a plus. But I think that there's got to be something else coming down the pipe if Hagerstown's coming in in 2023, Staten Island obviously coming in next year. I would be surprised if there was a Road Warrior team next year. I'll put it that way. Yeah, I. I know with the current teams on the table, that seems like the only possibility, and I agree with that. I just don't think that they that the Atlantic League's expansion plan, as well thought out as it is, I can't see them willing to suck up a Road Warrior team, especially the scarcity of pitching on all the teams this year, right? Yeah. In the Atlantic League, throw a Road Warriors into that mix. Can you even field a remotely competitive team with with the other partner leagues in the mix? I don't I don't think so, and I think that's the the thing. Another thing the Atlantic League has to consider. But honestly, with I really do think Lola will be in the a, a Red Sox affiliate next year. They'll try to move that that high A uh, affiliate kind of up uh, kind of up north to join the league with the Brooklyn Cyclones and Hudson Valley Renegades and up there. Because it just doesn't make sense yeah. to have the Red Sox affiliate in Salem, you know. It, yeah. it just logistically speaking. Yeah, it's out there, and I guess on that note, we'll switch over to that Lowell Salem discussion here. And the only reason why I say that you would see that possible Road Warrior team for twenty two is, I want to say it was the Baseball or Ballpark Digest article rather that had one line at the end that said that any other expansion plans for twenty two have been put on hold for now as a result of Hagerstown, which is a bit odd to me. If they were going and going to be at an even number, then I'd say, okay, that makes sense. But to leave it at an odd number does kind of, you know, make things a bit off. Salem would be relocated in 23, at least from what I had seen, if this were to happen and Lowell were to get an affiliate back. And then Salem's obviously, obviously been a name that's been thrown around this show as we've spent time saying and then in one article that was quickly pulled back out that announced the Staten Island news and just generally speaking that's been a market that's been kind of tossed around here so obviously Salem the earliest they'd be able to come in would be that 23-24 time frame which would come in with Hagerstown and if things are kind of put on hold for now I don't know how you can't have a Road Warrior team. And, like, I, I do believe that Lowell is going to be a Red Sox fit. I think you're 100% right on that, Will. But I just don't know what the timeline's going to be. And if the timeline isn't clear right now, I'm not sure when it's going to get clear. I agree with that. It would have to come come about quite quickly uh, to make that happen for next year. You know, part of me is 
I really just don't want a Road Warrior team at all. Yeah. I'm just kind of sick of it. We've had it. We've had enough traveling teams. But you're right that it would have to come across uh, pretty quickly. And but it, I don't know. Like I, I, I know what the article says that uh, all all expansion plans have been put on hold from 2022. But I don't. I don't think that it's optimal for the for for the Atlantic League to in a in a lot of ways, especially to use a road warrior team with these rules and uh, you know trackman data and all that stuff. It's not ideal. I'm sure they would do it if they had to. Uh, but I mean, if Lowell were to come in as a Red Sox affiliate for like next year, and Salem is left with no other choice. Yeah, I, um, I think the issue I, mainly is just that Lowell needs work done on it, supposedly. Apparently, it needed upgrades that they got approved to do to get okay. it to be to the MLB pipeline level or whatever the hell they're calling the minor leagues now. So if that's the case, it's going to take some time to do it. Yeah, uh, what is that? What is that fancy term now? I the, think it's like MLB Development Pipeline League. Ah, uh, yes, that's what it is. Yeah, yeah MLB like Development that. Pipeline. Ooh, very fancy, but exactly. we will still pay people poverty wages. Please, don't you know billionaires that own teams like, say, the New York Yankees can't afford to replace the damaged goods of their minor leaguers that were caught in a flood? You would really hope that's not the case, right? You would hope, but I mean, this is Major League Baseball. But yeah, so I think we're both in agreement where we say Lowell will be with the Red Sox and Salem's going to probably wind up in the Atlantic League. It's just really more or less a matter of when that's going to happen and what's going to happen with the Atlantic League in that intermittent period. Yeah, I'd agree with that. I think that's I think that's the question that we'll have to find out. But if the answer is Road Warriors, well, I hope it's not. Yeah, I really hope it's not either because, I mean, you make a very good point with the pitching. And, I mean, we've seen how that's gone in the American Association with the Houston Apollos. As of right now, they're stuck at 15 wins. They have three games left against Lincoln, who needs to really kind of win those games to be in the postseason. So they're clearly going to be gunning for those three wins there. It's very possible the Apollos get stuck at 15 wins. I'm not sure if that makes or breaks or over under. I'll have to go back and check for next week's show to see if they... Oh, I think it's under. I think it's definitely under. Did we say like 20? I thought it was like 25. Did we say that many? I think so. We'll check that for next week. But the TrackMan information and the fact that there's a large section of the Atlantic League that's... Well, you could consider it guinea pig-like. I'm not sure if Major League Baseball would exactly love to have their experiments kind of tilted by a uh, traveling team. That's kind of how I view it as well, yeah. Yeah, on that note, I think we can kind of shift over uh, to just one quick topic here, which was the flooding that I kind of referenced with Somerset. Obviously, they're not affiliated anymore, or they are affiliated now. They're They're no longer independent, as it were, but their stadium was underwater for like a day and a half quite literally underwater for a day and a half. You can look up the NJ.com drone footage to see what I mean by that. And that got me thinking about the other kind of independent league teams in the area, most notably uh, the Rockland Boulders that are essentially in Ramapo, uh, the Sussex Miners that are obviously just outside of Newton in New Jersey, and then the New Jersey Jackals. The Boulders and the Miners are playing games uh, as we speak. 
So that's obviously no longer a concern here. But the Jackal Stadium is one where I'm interested to see if they're going to be playing games. Me and Will talked about this a little bit off air to where it looks like they're going to be locked in because we're within 48 hours of them pretty much having a uh, home series set up against uh, the Washington Wild thing. So if they were going to be not playing them, they would have had to make plans by now. But for those that are unaware, that stadium is built below street level, as in you have to walk down a couple of flights of stairs to actually get into the seating bowl of the stadium. And obviously, the seating bowl is going to be higher up than the actual field of play and the clubhouses. And that stadium has been known to flood in the past just due to heavy rain. Obviously, for those paying attention, they saw that the greater New York area got a little bit more than what you'd consider heavy rain. So when you have streets in Brooklyn flooding, you have quite literally people kayaking down the middle of like Broad Street in Newark and Harrison, New Jersey, that are in the same county as the Jackal Stadium. Granted, some mileage apart there. It makes me fairly confident, especially because I saw one video, I want to say on Instagram, of water just pouring off the steps of uh, Montclair State University, which is where the ballpark is located. And the ballpark's kind of towards the the bottom. It's hard to say because the campus is built kind of on a hill and the stadium's kind of at the bottom of the hill. It's not exactly the best definition of it, but it, it serves the main point of that stadium took on water. There's not a doubt in my mind about that. I haven't been able to see the stadium myself, so I don't know what kind of condition it's in. I don't know how much water they took on. I don't know how what condition the clubhouse is in, what kind of condition the field's in. But I do wonder how... What's the quality of that field right now? What's the quality of the clubhouse and everything that goes along with it? And what kind of damage was done as a result of that flooding to that ballpark? At least when you think about what's the quality of the ballpark, we know <laughs> what it is. Uh, yeah, under ideal circumstances. I, you, you, can't, you can't think the, uh, the drainage system on that ballpark is, is great either. I mean, the, the thing Somerset has going for it, and I mean, if you, if you see like Somerset's ballpark today... I mean, it's night and day yeah. of what it was a, a couple of days ago, where water was nearly filled to that first that first fence, which yeah. is just crazy. Yeah, uh, but, the whole lower bowl. Still, yeah, and you still it's still a little bit brown and yeah, uh, in in parts and stuff like that. But honestly, but, the field uh, looks pretty good. Yeah, uh, I, I like. I know they're trying to get it ready for uh, uh, Friday, Saturday, Sunday to end their home season, uh, but. I don't know. It's just, I think that if we, if there was something going on there in that sense, I probably would, uh, would have assumed that would have said something by now, uh, because it's just, maybe there are contingency plans in place that we just don't know about right now. Yeah. Uh, but I would, I think, I would think we would know more about it if there was an actual chance that they would be, that they would be moving games, uh, or, but maybe canceling games, or you would think they'd probably move yeah. it with this little little to go in the season. And considering they're playing a team like Washington, who very much has stuff to play for. Yeah, and it's going to be playing or finishing up their series against the Miners the day before they play New Jersey. And keep in mind, the Miners and the Jackals are owned by the same, uh, I guess, group, but really the same individual. So I don't imagine it'd be terribly difficult to say. We have three open dates for what would be that Washington series because the Miners are up in Tri-City and 
the Jackals are supposed to be at home playing those wild things. So you could, in theory, move that series to Sussex. I'm not sure the whole logistics around that, but it would be something that makes sense on the surface. Now, that last series they play uh, at home against Rockland, or New York, technically, is what they're called now, that becomes more of an issue just because the Miners are playing a four-game series to end their season against Equipe Quebec there. And uh, I got to imagine if the Jackals couldn't play in their ballpark, it would have to go to Rockland then, which, again, not the end of the world. Neither one of those teams are really playing for anything at this point. But, yeah, at this point, they would have had to have said something. Well, uh, I agree with you there. It's uh, it, it's too late. I mean, when people are listening to this, that game day is going to be within 48 hours. So you just can't drop it on people all of a sudden that, oh, by the way, we're playing here. Well, you can, just nobody's going to show up. I mean, to be fair, they're already last in the league in attendance, so it's not like people are breaking down the door anyway, if we're being brutally honest here. <laughs> really drive the point home. The Jackals have had 36 home open dates so far. So just under the number that most teams get. Most teams are in like low 40s right now. They're Jackals in the mid-30s. They average about 1,000 fans a game. That is last in the Frontier League and roughly 800 fans below the average of the Frontier League this season. So That's not That doesn't seem good. It does not at all. Conversely, in case you're wondering where the Sussex County Myers are, they're about dead middle. They're at 1,638 fans a game. Uh, for the miners, in case you're curious about that, that's still below average, but that's about 150 below average. So not the worst in the world. It's pretty much middle of the pack. So, I mean, maybe you could even draw more fans to the ballpark by playing up there in Scotland. Maybe. It's a no. possibility. I mean, like, I doubt it, but anything's possible, right? They can try their best. Exactly. So on that note, why don't we actually talk about some real Frontier League baseball, seeing as all their games have officially gone final for September the 4th. And, man, do we have some interesting developments in the standings. I believe it was last week we said the Miners really need to do some work here to fend off Washington. And, man, did the Miners pick a terrible time to lose four games in a row. And I think the Northeast Division is probably the best place to start. Because we know the Central is going to be going to Schaumburg. That's really just a matter of time before they clinch that. Despite them losing three in a row and doing their best to not eliminate Windy City from contention. But that's another issue entirely. They have a five and a half game lead. Boomers have the Central. That much is a given. The Northeast, though. Wild things. Six wins in a row. They've now taken two of four from the Miners in this current series. I think it's safe to say if the Miners lose today, September the 4th, that their season is done. I think I think you'd have to say I don't want to say it's definitely done but with what like it with what eight games to play be yeah it'd be about they'd have three against Tri-City four against Quebec and then one against Washington if they were to lose tomorrow and they'd be four games back of Washington um, yeah, it, it's going to be tough. I'm not going to say they're, com- they're completely done yet, but I mean, it, it, it doesn't, it doesn't seem likely at this point. And Sussex had a, they, they had such a good, it, it's been definitely a disappointment if they, uh, if they, miss if they were unable to, but I mean, I, I mean, 
you look at what happened to them this week. It's it's pretty simple, honestly. I mean, their pit their pitching just fell apart this week. Yeah. Um. I mean, an ERA at six six point two zero for this week, and the opponents at three hundred five. Uh, against them, uh, opponents had a three ninety nine on base percentage against them this week. So four out of every ten uh, opponents that came to the plate got on base somehow. That's uh, obviously not a recipe to win games. Yeah. Um, so uh, just a really disappointing end, likely disappointing end uh, for Sussex. But honestly, like we could talk about how stacked they are and how much of a better team that. Washington's the better team. Yeah. Then uh, this is probably the first time I've said it all season. And wa- Washington is the better baseball team, and they're playing like it. And they've honestly, they got off to the rough start. And I'd love to see what their record has been since their rough start because it'll be much better than 51 and 37. I'll tell you that. Oh, yeah. Um, and I mean, and- let's not let Sussex off the hook here either. They've played horrible since August, if you really want to get down to it. I mean, they started August, they won two, sure. Three, actually, my mistake. Then they lost two to Washington, three to Tri-City, three to New York. And then they finally snapped it by beating Tri-City for one. And then they went out and lost another two. They recovered a bit against Florence by sweeping them and taking one from Washington or one from New York. And they had that one week stretch where they looked really good. They looked solid. And then they started playing bad again. They split with Quebec. And now they're looking like they're going to lose this series against Washington. And at that same time, Washington got really hot and they played really well. Yeah. And I can't see, just looking ahead for Washington, I can't see them losing the series to the Jackals. And so I think it, it pretty much is done at this point. I mean, Washington, it, you're right. It definitely, it takes two to tango, right? It's yeah. not just It's not just Washington getting red hot at the right time, which of course they did. Uh, but Sussex just completely fell apart at, at the wrong time. But listen, all the credit in the world uh, to a really, really good Washington team who who absolutely deserves a playoff spot should they close this out. Yeah, I mean, like, if you want to look at the record starting on August the 20th, since then they've lost a grand total of two games over about the past two weeks. So, I mean, it's... They've been playing very good baseball. Honestly, even before that stretch, they were starting to figure it out. And they, you're right, Well, they, they earned it. They deserved the playoff spot more. And just to kind of reference what you meant by like what they have left in the schedule, once they get done with the minors on Labor Day, like we said earlier, they got the Jackals for three, and then they got Tri-City for three. And sure, Tri-City's going to be playing for, you know, possibly their playoff life. They, the Jackals are still a much easier opponent to get than, say, Quebec, which is what the Miners have left. They have four Quebec and three in Tri-City, which, given the rivalry between Tri-City and the Miners, I think it's safe to say both teams are going to be trying their hardest to win those games. Of course. Of course. So, that that whole Northeast Division was one that we said, oh, all three teams are really good. And the Jackals have proven us wrong on that front, certainly. Uh, just a very disappointing season from them. The Miners have just lacked consistency really since August. And the the wild things wind up coming out on top here. And, I mean, it's not like they are undeserving champions either. As it stands right now, they're tied for the second best, well, they're a half game behind for second best record. They're the third best record in the league. Only mm-hmm. Florence and Evansville are in front of them. So they've they've earned this. 
Yeah, they've absolutely earned this. Um, and and we knew Washington was a good team at the beginning of the year, but they have really proved it down the stretch on both sides of the ball. And you're right, Sussex has just been too inconsistent. And and that's that's what it's come down to. Washington's uh, Washington has won the games head-to-head against Sussex that they've needed to win uh, to, to throw themselves back into the race. And it's going to be a tough pill for for Sussex to swallow. And uh, it looks like uh, we will not get our Sussex Tri-City playoff series that the rivalry that just got spicier by the day. But let's just say I, I think it's far from over. Oh, uh, considering Pete and Cavillio will be back next year and uh, and they'll, they'll be ready to do it again. Uh, listen, Washington absolutely deserves it. It'll be a great matchup and they'll definitely be favored against whoever comes out of the Atlantic division between Tri-City and uh, Quebec. Oh, absolutely. And just another point here, Washington has quietly become the second best pitching team in the league. Southern Illinois currently yeah. has a team ERA of 3-4-4. Washington's right behind with 3-4-5. Wow. I didn't know they were that close. To, I, yeah. I knew they were a good pitching team. I didn't know they were that close to Southern Illinois. Yeah, they're one of the three teams that have an ERA of three as a team. But yeah, they're right on top of it. And they've done so allowing about 15 more home runs than Southern Illinois has. Their whips a bit higher. They have fewer shutouts, and their team ERAs wor- or team uh, average against is worse. But they've only thrown two thirds of an inning less, and they just have found a way. They only have one more earned run. They just have a. They do a better job of stranding runners, I guess. I guess that's the only. Way, I guess that's the only way to say it. You know. Yeah. Uh, they get out of jams. I mean, having guys like James Meeker for most of the season definitely helps. Mm-hmm. So for sure, yeah. Which just out of curiosity here, I gotta look at this pitching staff right now to see here. Uh, yeah. Well, they also added Rob Whalen too, which definitely helps. He's only throwing two games, so whatever that is. Hennon though, he has a two. Hennon has a two ten ERA in fifteen starts. Wow. Yeah. Okay, pitcher of the year there. All right. Then that's done. That at least that award's done. Yep. Cologne. In six starts, has a 270 ERA. Uh, Alex Boschers, he was with the Canaries last year. I think he's a player coach, if I'm not mistaken, for Boschers. A 344. Darren Osby, who was a guy I think we said was going to be one of the more aces of the staff this year. 18 starts for him. He has a 361 ERA, so certainly no slouch there. And then there's a couple other guys, Pim Mattel and Mills, but... Mills has an ERA of four, Pim Mattel an ERA of 520, and then uh, there's Kevin McNorton that's still listed here. I'm not sure when the last time he pitched was. I, th- I think what stands out really about that staff is just the depth that they have. Uh, plenty of guys have an ace, uh, but an ace can only carry you so far, especially in yeah. a long season, like any and like any professional baseball regular season. So, I mean, Washington really won through five. They've had to replace guys throughout the year, but they've done a really good job of doing that. Uh, I think Rob Whalen's a great example uh, of a guy that of a guy that had a, that um, started in the Atlantic League, went to affiliated ball, and is now back in the into the Frontier League. Uh, he's a big pickup for them as well, and, and uh, it's just the depth of this, of this starting rotation. Uh, and this pitching staff in general uh, is the thing that really 
I think, pushed Washington to the top in the end. And I think that is the big separator between Washington and Sussex. I mean, uh, on a basic level, we, we talk wins and losses and whatever. But I think when you're looking right at these rosters for Washington and Sussex, Washington just simply has more depth. I don't think they have more uh, – like, talent-wise, they're pretty close. Yeah. But, but Washington, I think, top to bottom has – more depth and they have a lot more quality arms than Sussex uh, than Sussex has gotten most of the year from that from that group. Exactly. And I think that's really the difference here is the Myers are the best hitting team in the league when you want to look at numbers. But like you said, well, the wild things have replaced their their losses. They're the one of the best pitching teams in the league and they're not a slouch offensively either. They're the fifth best hitting team in the league. So they're they're just kind of better in some regards, and they keep up in the other regards. So there's that. I We're not going to bury Sussex yet, but, I mean, it certainly is an uphill road. I know it sounds like we've been burying them, but it is an, an uphill uh, battle for them. We'll save the shovels for next week for them, though. But uh, we'll swing over to the Atlantic League, now, or the Atlantic Division now, rather. I think it's safe to say the Boulders are out of this. They are seven games back with eight to play. I don't think that's going to wind up happening. They've ran out of time. Flips. Yeah. Yeah. yeah they're which done. they're doing exactly what I said. I said they're a 450 winning percentage team. They currently have a winning percentage of 443. They're keeping pace with that. So we want to get them to right around that 450, 460 mark. If they can finish with that, I'll feel very happy about myself. Yeah. Down a little bit of a hot streak. So then they'll play these games that uh, that don't mean anything to them in the standings. They'll just play it for you, Nick. Exactly. See, I'm giving them motivation to win. They clearly need I that. Th- I think TJ Stanton would appreciate that. Exactly. I mean, TJ needs to motivate these guys somehow if they still have yet to get to 40 wins. But regardless, we have two teams at 46 and 42. We have the Tri-City Valley Cats and Ekip Quebec. And they both lost tonight. They both are 6-4 and four in their last 10. And they both have a very interesting run down the stretch. And I don't know who's going to wind up taking this. It's coming down to the, to the wire, obviously, with two teams that are tied in the standings. Uh, but, I mean, we look at how, how they're going to finish the season. Tri-City uh, playing on Sunday and Monday uh, at New York. That's certainly manageable uh playing sussex at home we know how sussex has been playing lately and then last three at washington you would think that's tough but if washington has the division wrapped up at that point do they have anything to play for i, I mean, mean they, they could just load up the to, they use that series to set up their pitching the way they want to I mean, sure, but we said the same thing about Kansas City last week, and, I mean, look at what they've done in the past week. Maybe Kansas City is just that much better than everyone. I mean, that's a fair point. I just, I think it's a lot easier to say that's going to be the case in affiliate minor leagues and obviously Major League Baseball, but when you have guys that are, you know, fighting and clawing for winter ball jobs and whatnot, I think that's it's a, I think it's a lot hard to sell them on the idea of, we're not going to play you right now. We're going to play you later on in the postseason. Like, sure, I think there's going to be a lot of guys that will still be receptive to that idea, but I think some of them aren't as, you know, keen on that. Uh, That's but, a fair point. Yeah, yeah. you you, you, you changed my mind on that. Yeah. And also, I mean, 
like I'm not sure how much manageable it is because even a Washington team kind of taking their foot off the brake. Kip has a very nice schedule. I mean, they have two more against New Jersey, two against New York. Those are four very nice games to have. And then, yeah, you finish the season on the road against the Miners. But like we just said, the Miners haven't exactly been lighting the world on fire as of late. So I feel like they're, Kip can handle them, I think. Oh, it's a, it's a manageable schedule, absolutely, yeah. uh, for Quebec. And I think, uh, I mean, on paper, Quebec definitely has the uh, has the advantage uh, in the scheduling department. Now, I think Tri-City's the better team. Mm. Uh, and, you know, I've been saying it all year, so might as well stick to it now. Uh, but schedule-wise, I mean, Quebec has a slightly easier schedule. Um it's going to be really close. It's going to, it's going to be really close. You just wish they maybe had one more head-to-head series against each other. That would have been nice. Yeah. Uh, but I guess Quebec just trounced Tri-City the last time they played. So I guess Tri-City can't really complain about that. Yeah. But um, but it's, it's going to be a really exciting photo finish between those two teams and 46, 40, 46 and 42 doesn't exactly inspire confidence like on the surface just looking at the standings but if you if you think about what these two teams have gone through specifically throughout the year I mean Tri-City with their terrible start complete roster turnover and getting back into things and Quebec with playing on the friggin road every single game for two-thirds of the season and then able to return home, get hot, and put themselves in this position. I mean, no, no matter what happens, I mean, both these teams have definitely something good to take away uh, from this year. And I think there's a good story uh, on either if either team were to make it. Oh, absolutely. Like, part of me wants Quebec to make it because imagine after going essentially a year and a half without having professional baseball in pretty much the whole country, they come back in, they make the postseason, and they – I'm not sure how they would fare exactly against the the wild things. I mean, that's certainly not an easy draw to have. But, I mean, that would be one hell of a come-from-behind story. On the flip side, I mean, Tri-City has definitely fought and clawed their way uh, this whole season to come back. Obviously, I want to root for my boy, the law firm, to make the postseason and, you know, pitch in meaningful games there. So either side, I'm really happy with that end result here. It's hard to say who's going to make it. You look at like this uh, Equipe Quebec bullpen, and there's a lot of really, really good guys. You have guys that have thrown 25-plus games and have ERAs still at or underneath 2.5. So that's just really impressive here. The thing that's definitely going to hold them back is the same thing that's kind of held them back all year, which is a very much lack of starting pitching. There's just no real great starting pitching on this uh, kept team. So I do wonder if that becomes an issue, uh, using your bullpen an awful lot down the stretch here. Either way, I can't really say who's going to be in and out because you could see a scenario very much here where, you know, kept goes 500 and then it falls on what happens with Tri-City. Because Tri-City's schedule goes one of two ways. It goes, they kind of implode, or they manage to break through and get some key wins and get to the postseason. I feel like there's about a decent enough chance of 5-3 and being how Quebec finishes, and it being 
like four and four on Tri-City. I don't know why I'm coming up with that number, but that's just the kind of numbers I have in my head. And I'd be interested to see what the tiebreaker is uh, should we wind up with a tie for the top of this division because that's very much still a, a very question. That's a very real possibility here. I don't know off the top of my head what that tiebreaker would be, but uh, I, I know it won't be a playoff game, like a playing game. But man, are you, you sure it won't be? I, well, like, I'm like 99% positive it won't be. But if it was, that'd be really fun. It would be really fun, wouldn't it? Uh, here we are. Tie-breaking procedure in Section 2 of the playoff format. Very nice. Straight off the FrontierLeague.com website. In case of a tie between two teams, the winner of the division will be determined by winning percentage. If still tied, head-to-head record shall determine the winner. If still a tie, head-to-head record against each team in the division in descending order of the regular season finish will determine the winner. If yet still tied, a one-game playoff will be held the day after the regular season ends to determine the winner. The site will be determined by a coin flip of the commissioner. In the case of there being three or more teams tied, the final standing will be determined by winning percentage of all the tied teams. If there's still three or more, then winning percentage against the teams tied for that slot. We're not going to finish reading that because it's not going to be three teams tied. But yeah, we need to go through three things here for us to get a tie. Do we know what the head-to-head record is against Quebec? I am currently calculating it. All right. With my very, very good math skills. I will say at my point in calculations, I am at five to one Tri-City. All right. So not looking great. Oh, man, this is like real-time math here. (laughs) Oh, Quebec took three out of four. So that is six to four Tri-City. Oh, it's getting close. Right. Six to four Tri City. All right. Seven four Tri City. Eight four Tri City. Eight five Tri City. Um, any more? Any more? Any more? Let's see. Wait. So I was at eight five, right? Yeah. Oh, then there's the three game sweep for Quebec and Tri City. Oh, we're tied still. It the season series is eight to eight. Oh, so that means we go to divisional record. Oh, God. I, I cannot possibly compute that. Yeah. We're not going to go in descending order. So it would be, I guess, whoever has the better rock uh, record against Rockland. <laughs> Are you, so, the, hold on. So re- read, the, read that again. It's Okay, so reading the third one, which is the important one right here. Yes. If still a tie. Head-to-head record against each team in the division in descending order of the regular season finish will determine the winner. So I take that to mean because they're both tied at one. New York has that third spot. They're the only team in the division. So that means whoever has the better record against New York would wind up being the winner. And if tied, then we would get a postseason game. Or a playing oh, game. Is this where I do math again? I mean, I could take this one if you want to uh, talk. How about this? How about this? We, 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 can div- we can divide and conquer. Okay. So wh- why don't we do this? We'll, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll cut this bit out while we're counting, and we'll okay. come back and make a very dramatic reveal. I like that idea. We, we, won't, we won't even tell each other until, until we're asked to announce it. All right. You want Tri-City or do you want uh, Quebec? 
I've already got Tri-City open. I'll stick with Tri-City. All right. Then let me find Quebec and go back to them. All right. Okay. I All got right. it right here. All right. Let's do it. Back this. after a message from your local station. <laughs> So we're back. I'm going to get roasted if my math is wrong. <laughs> I will go back and check it to make sure it's right in a second after we do this reveal to make sure okay. it's right. Yeah. All right, but, who wants to go first? All right. I'll, I, I'll go first on this. Okay. All right. So if the way I did this is correct, and obviously Quebec has two games left to play against New York, but as it stands right now, they are 10 and 4 against the boulders this season that then tri-city loses tri-city will lose on that yes they will lose on that all right well the saga has ended with if we need to there is an opportunity for this to go to a third tiebreaker where quebec would win that being said here i really hope it goes to that tiebreaker otherwise we took all this time for nothing and that is the content you get on the indie ball report that you get nowhere else exactly this is what you don't pay to hear this is what sponsors don't pay us to say. Exactly. <laughs> this is the quality work you get here. That said, let's finish up Frontier League talk with the West Division, which is a lot easier to see. It looks like Southern Illinois is probably just in the too little, too late grouping. They have a rough rest of the way home. Evansville has a really easy slate, and Florence is again playing Goldilocks with their schedule is neither too easy nor too hard. They could, in theory, get to, I believe, 56 or 57 wins. But if we're being honest, it would take an awful lot for Evansville to not uh, not get to 58. That, that's how I view it. I think yeah. Evansville's got this pretty much pretty much locked up. They got an easy schedule down the stretch. I can't see them slipping up. Uh, they're playing really good baseball right now. They've won four straight, seven out of their last ten. Yeah, I, I just think that Southern Illinois def- is I definitely out at this point. Yeah, uh, and I think I think Evansville can feel definitely not a lock, but feel pretty good about having the postseason berth locked up. And it's a shame that Florence, as good of a season as they have they've had, are, are going to be on the outside looking in. And you know, Schaumburg's forty five and forty three, but. Yeah. Such is life. I mean, yeah. I mean, like, at the same time, like, it's a, it's sad that both uh, Southern Illinois and uh, and the Yalls are going to miss the postseason. They both played better baseball than some teams that are probably going to get in have played. But at the same time, they kind of did it to themselves, too. Evansville outplayed them. And it would take Evansville going full Leon Lett into the end zone for them to really mess this up. I mean, they got two games against Schaumburg, which has not shown to be an issue so far this series, 9-1 and 7-4 being the two other games they've played so far. And then they finish at home playing three against Joliet and then three against Lake Erie. Those are both under 500 clubs. They should conceivably take at least four of two. Four would put them at, you know... Even if they were to lose both against Schomburg, it would put them at 58 wins, which is considerably out of reach of the Yalls, as they still have to play 
uh, three more against Southern Illinois, two more against Joliet, and then three against Schaumburg. And then the Miners, they just, they, they are out of it. There's just no way around it. They just, injuries took their toll. They were slow really getting on the hop on it, which is a shame. They're a great pitching team, and I was really hoping they'd get to play the other Miners so I could get to see them play in person. But two against Gateway, um, to play tomorrow and then three against Florence and three more against Gateway. Is it impossible to do? I suppose not, but they would take a miraculous winning streak and a whole hell of a lot of luck. And even then they get the 56 wins. And I just, I have a hard time believing that Evansville is not going to find a way to win two more games to block them out of this. Yeah, I, I agree. I think, I think I, Evansville is too good of a team to really envision them slipping up like this. I really do think that they'll end up closing this out uh, and being the West Division champions and uh, taking on Schaumburg in the first series, which is not not a bad matchup. Obviously, we'll talk more about playoffs next week for this league, but before we move on to the American Association, are we pretty safe to say that Schaumburg's the weakest of the four playoff teams? no matter what winds up working on the other three divisions? Because mm. they're about a 500 club. Is, is Quebec, I mean, I don't know, is Quebec and Tri-City that much better? I I would argue yes. I mean, they both technically have a better record for whatever that's worth. And I would argue that Tri-City and Quebec went through more than Schaumburg has this year. Yeah. And if you want to look at the quality of competition that each of those teams have played, it's not like the Tri-City and Quebec have played exclusively New York this year or exclusively New Jersey. They also had the Wild Things and the Miners for a large chunk. Quebec was on the year on the road for like two-thirds of the year. Tri-City basically rebuilt their team in July. So, like, I'd say they're probably better. I mean, Schaumburg got a lot of Windy City, Lake Erie, and Joliet. Granted, they also had more Evansville, Florida, and Southern Illinois in there. But, I mean, I'd, I'd argue that Tri-City and, and Kip had harder paths to get here. Yeah, I, I think that's a solid point. I think it's not terribly far off, uh, but I think if I if, if I had to pick, yeah, I'd say Schaumburg is probably the the weakest link out of the the four playoff teams. So again, obviously more in depth next week. But if everything ends the way it looks today, let's just say Quebec winds up pulling it out because they hold tiebreakers here. Uh, in all possibility. If it's Quebec versus Washington and Evansville versus Schaumburg, it's going to be Washington and Evan- and Evansville, right? You would, you would think. There's so much me that wants to see Ekip pull this out. And the thing that would is... be awesome, wouldn't it? Yeah. And the thing is, I could see them getting hot and finding a way to eek past. And if they can get to a final, I'm just not going to roll them out because momentum's a very real thing. And... Honestly, they may have a bit of an advantage playing in Canada. I could see that, yeah. Yeah. I I think they do have a pretty considerable advantage uh, playing in Canada against anybody. uh, Against anybody. That'll really help them. Um, In a playoff series, even to try and make up for whatever talent difference um, against a team like Washington – uh, per se, but yeah. I mean, one thing that can be certain, whether or not you want to have a debate over how much the border crossing is an advantage for one team as opposed to another, they draw a lot of people in Quebec. 2,300 people a game. 
That, yeah. That's that's the third most in this league, and they've done that in only 16 games. And I have actually in 16 games they've drawn more people than the Jackals have in 36. So, <laughs> and it's by about a thousand too. So had to do it to them. I had to. I saw it was there, and you know I'm I'm gonna take the low blows. That's what I do, but. I mean, like clearly, that's just a testament to how much that fan base really cares, and how much they want to see baseball back, how much they want to be doing things and going out and seeing places. So, if you gave them a playoff atmosphere, oh boy! That then brings up the question: If they do win the Frontier League, which one of the two Canadian teams that make up at Cape Quebec winds up getting the banner? Is it Three Rivers or is it uh, Quebec? Gotta be Quebec. I mean, this, this is, that's the stadium they played at, you know. Well, they played at both of them. Oh, that's true. Yeah. Maybe the easiest solution is you just make two and give it to each of them. I think that's the only way to do it. We'll just well, better yet, we'll just cut the banner in half. Or no one gets a banner. You both <laughs> argue, no one gets the banner. That's it. It's going back to the store now. We're gonna, you know what? Skirt. We're gonna give it to the jackals for trying. <laughs> That's what's gonna happen, you know. Actually, we're gonna give it to the Houston Apollos. I I agree with that because we're donating it. And speaking, I feel of, like that's a good. Tra- I feel like that's a good transition into the Houston Apollos, who are have a big role down the stretch. Perfect. And I want to just point out all that detour math allowed for the last American Association games to finish. So we have everything going final. We have a lot of races here, and the Houston Apollos are not involved in any of them. So well, well. Not directly. Well. They they matter in the South Division because Lincoln's about to stomp their face in and make their losing streak end the season at 10 in a row. And that could be what gets Lincoln into the postseason. Actually, may have, no, three times they're going to get their face stomped in by Lincoln because there's a doubleheader. No faith in the Apollos? They have 15 wins. They're 20 back of the Canaries. I got no faith in them. In terms of wins, they have... Their, their winning percentage is 15.5%. They lose over 84% of their games. They are 51.5 games back. Pardon hey man, me. Someone, someone, someone had to replace the Texas Air Hogs, am I right? <laughs> Actually, I'd love to see that. Who would win, the Air Hogs or the Apollos? Why, why don't we make that a Twitter poll? Oh, that's going to be a Twitter poll. That's an Instagram poll, too. As both. The Houston Apollos versus the Texas Air Hogs. <laughs> uh, but let's talk about the North Division to get them out of the way fairly quick. Uh, Chicago, they clinched. Fargo-Moorhead, they clinched. In some confusion, Milwaukee clinched. And now Winnipeg's going to fall just short. But I think, if I'm not mistaken, they have three games left. They've clinched a non-losing record, so that's a positive. And... Uh, We'll wind up recapping this whole league at some point in the not-too-distant future, uh, and we'll be able to go back and see what the record was after returning home. They've just been bad the last 10, 2-8, two two-game losing streak right now. Really, for them, we're watching Kyle Martin, who set the RBI single-season record. He is tied, as of right now, I believe, for the home run record, I believe him and Adam Brett Rocker are stuck at 31 apiece with a few games left. Yep, they're each at 31 apiece. It's becoming more and more like it's Kyle Martin for MVP, which is definitely a huge plus. I mean, that, that's a huge season for him. Great for them. Good for the team. 
And uh, that, that's a positive take here. Kane County, a little bit of a rough entry here. And, well, Gary did what we expected uh, them to do. Winnipeg did, like, just finishing up on them. They did what they always do, and they disappointed you, Will. They did not meet your lofty expectations for them. So I, I assume you're done picking them in these types of things. Yeah, I think I'm done picking them. That they burned that final bridge? Yeah. Yeah. I, I think so. Yeah. But I'm, but but I'm gonna but then they're gonna put together a good roster on paper next year and I'm gonna say how amazing they are again. It's gonna go look, look, they have Ty Kelly, and that's alone a three win player. I I, I can't argue with that. <laughs> Anywho, uh well, let's just figure out this North Division. I think it's safe to say Chicago is going to clinch the North, which means it's gonna be Fargo versus Milwaukee. For the sake of argument how it sits now, let's say Fargo's hosting that winner take all play in wild card game. Who do we like in that? Do we like Milwaukee or Fargo Moorhead? Uh, it's one game. It could go either way. I mean, who are, who are we assuming gets the ball in in that game? Like, you're probably thinking like. Uh, I mean, Holmberg Ryan seems Flores? to be possibly. Orion Flores probably gets the nod for Fargo Moorhead. I would say. Holmberg is probably the odds-on favorite on the uh, Milwaukee side of the line. If not him, Miles. Eh, it's probably actually Miles Smith. If I had to, yeah, I think it is Miles Smith. It's probably. Miles Smith or Holmberg. Definitely, I'd probably go Smith though. Although you would have to think if they're, I'm not sure how their their rotations lined up, yeah. but you have to assume both those guys will be available. Yeah, no assuming they're both available. Actually, let's quickly look when Smith's last game pitched. But this I think game is in, in August game, 30. In a one-game playoff, I know, I've been sticking with Milwaukee the whole season. I know you've been riding with Fargo Moorhead. Yeah, and I'm going to keep I'll doing say, that. I'll, I'll say Milwaukee wins a one-game playoff. See, here's the thing. I think if we're comparing pure talent levels, Milwaukee probably has them edged. That said, I'm going to be unabashed here. I want Fargo Moorhead because I want to be able to keep listening to Jack Michaels. Um, yes. that, that's a huge plus in my mind. That being said, pitching-wise, see, they've lost so much pitching this year. If Fargo Moorhead didn't lose this much pitching, I got to think they're challenging to win this division. Like, the only other guy here that may get the nod, Matt Tomshaw. Because if the five stars he's gotten, he has a 233 ERA. He last pitched on September 1st. Granted, he allowed three runs and six and two thirds against Sioux City. The dude's still pitching very, very good. I mean, hell, his first outing against Sioux Falls. Yes, I understand Sioux Falls, but still, just go with it. He had a no hitter going through six before he got pulled. So, I mean, he's, cert he's certainly a great pitcher. Yeah. It, it lines up for him to pitch. So, I mean, if we're looking at Tom Shaw versus Smith, that's a pretty even pitching match. I'm willing to call that a stalemate. And then it comes down to batting. And if we want to look at that, if we go to stats real quick here, I got to go back to the to the home page. But I'm pretty sure they rank fairly close to each other in the batting stats as a team. Um Let's just wait for this load so that way I can know if I'm making an ass of myself here. Yeah, no, Fargo Moorhead's the top hitting team. And actually, Milwaukee's fairly down low. They're fourth in the bottom. 
So in that area, I mean, you almost want to say Fargo Moorhead's kind of the favorite. I mean, you want to look at OPS. It, they have a 850 OPS Fargo Moorhead as opposed to Milwaukee's 786. So it's a sizable difference. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's one game, though. Yeah. I, don't, I think all of it goes out the window, though. Yeah, uh, I, true. I think I'll ride with Milwaukee. I, I think I, I think Miles Smith will pitch a really good ball game. He'll pitch well like he has all year. I think it'll be just enough. But it's one game. Yeah. Again. So let's get to the more important question, I guess. Does it really matter? Is Chicago going to be the team that kind of runs through whoever comes out of the North? And go to the championship game, or does this actually matter? And whoever could take this playing game could take on Chicago. Not necessarily. I, I don't think. I don't think it's a case. And Chicago would just steamroll whoever they would play. Um, I mean, there's been a close battle the whole year. Chicago's a really, really, really good baseball team. But you know what? Fargo, Moorhead, and Milwaukee are good as well. Um, you know, I, I think in. In, in a five-game series, I think Chicago would have the edge. I think they'd be the favorite, but okay. I think either Fargo-Moorhead or Milwaukee would have a good chance to win that series. I, I don't think it's a case that uh, the Dogs would be a, a massive favorite in that series. I would agree with that. I think it uh, largely will come down to who it is that wins that playing game. I like Fargo-Moorhead in a series of bit better than I would like Milwaukee if I'm being entirely honest um I just say that because I think as a whole the sample size shows me that Fargo Moorhead is a better team granted they're both fairly equal but Fargo Moorhead is the third best team in this league only behind Kansas City which is quite clearly I think the the odds on favor to win this league I mean they they have 67 wins, six ahead of the dogs. So that alone, I think, puts them a certain level ahead of everybody else. Um, but I don't think Milwaukee could handle as much just because their batting isn't quite as good as Fargo-Moorhead. Fargo-Moorhead just also has a, this knack for not dying, which is in and of itself pretty amazing. And uh, yeah, I guess we'll we'll be able to say more when we get to that point uh, next week, because actually we should be able to pick up kind of in the middle of these playoff series, if I'm not mistaken. I tried to find the the press release with all the dates in there real quick, just so I could know for certain that it starts on the 9th, I want to say, for that divisional series. But uh, in the meanwhile, while I look for that, let's talk about the the South Division. That's actually extremely close and competitive right now. Uh, I think it's safe to say, Cleburne is going to be hosting this wild card game. I think they pretty much mm-hmm. have that spot locked up. They need like one win or a, uh, I want to say either a Lincoln or a Sioux City loss to lock it in. So it seems pretty likely they're going to get in here, barring a totally out there scenario. Which really brings yeah. us to is it going to be Sioux City or Lincoln that gets that last spot? I think it's Lincoln. Uh, I, I I think I think Lincoln, uh, for no other reason, other than the fact that Lincoln finishes their season with three games against Houston. Yeah, the- it's that simple. In the game that they played 
Uh, I mean, on Friday again. I mean, eighteen to seven, Lincoln beating Houston. I, I think it's it's that simple, honestly. When there, when all things are considered, you just got to look at the opponents. Uh, and listen, Sioux City's a, Sioux City's a good team as well, and and it's not like I'm, they're playing Sioux Falls. It's not like Sioux Falls is very good either because they're not. But yeah. I, I mean, it's the two worst teams in the league that are yeah that are in the spotlight all of a sudden. Yeah, they're, they're going to be the most watched worst teams in the last series of the year ever. Yeah. Uh, and so I, 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 I'll pick Lincoln just because I think they'll, I think there's a much better chance Sioux Falls can scratch out a win than Houston. Uh, but it'd be a cool story if the Houston Apollo screwed someone out of a playoff spot. That'd be pretty funny. Honestly, like I, I know we've been kind of ragging on them a bit, and I've definitely led this parade all year, but... They actually does give them something to play for. I know you want to be playing, play for next year, play for a contract, play because you want to win, play for your teammates, play for all. I get all that. But playing spoiler is something. It is a reason why you go a little bit more. If you can manage to meaningfully impact the playoff race, I do think guys try a bit harder when they see that's on the line and that they're not playing a completely meaningless game. So, oh, I definitely agree with that. Like, I wonder if that really plays into this too. I'll agree. I think Lakin inks it, like ekes it in, and they wind up playing Cleburne in that playing game. They're going to be going to Cleburne for that. But I don't necessarily think it's a lock. I could see equal scenarios happening here. I just. I don't know. I just think that the three games against the Apollos versus the two games against the Canaries is a difference maker. I agree with you. Well, I think the thing we've been saying all year long, the ending on like an 11-game homestead and a four-game series against the Apollos could be meaningful if this very situation occurred and this very situation is occurring and all of a sudden it becomes very meaningful. So I, I agree with you. I think it is going to be the Salt Dogs in there. And just one quick note, the playing games are the 8th of September and the divisional championship series starts on September the 10th. So we'll be recording this, I guess, playoff preview when the first game of the divisional series comes out. So with that in mind, I suppose what we should be focusing on here is not so much how much we all know deep inside that the Kansas City Monarchs are coming out of the South Division because it really doesn't matter who they're playing, but more so between Lincoln and Cleburne, who can win one game? I think Cleburne, but I'll go with the home team. I, I think they, they're the more talented team. They've been that way all season. They've had their ups and downs, but I think, uh, I think in one game, I, I think Cleburne will take care of business at home. I'm going to agree with that. I know it's anticlimactic as it is. I'm going to agree with that. If for no other reason, then they're a very, very good hitting team. And DJ Peterson is just like a man possessed. In the oh, 30 games he's no. been here, he's hit a home run every other game. That's not even a joke. He's hit 14 home runs in 29 games. The man's, he's an animal. Yeah, he's just playing possessed right now. And imagine if Lexington would have been able to keep him via the mound, not being touched. think he'd be helpful right now. You know what? I... In, in my expert opinion, I think it would be helpful. Mm, I got to concur. And yeah. then you tack on Peterson along with Zach Narrier. He's hitting 338. 
Ale Lago, 338. Ramon Hernandez, 325, 21 home runs, 100 RBIs. Ozzy Martinez, again over 300. Noah Vaughn, 13 home runs, 268. And then it starts to go down a little bit. Clannon and Pogue uh, and Chase Simpson, all averages not tremendous, not the most power hitters, guys. I mean, 11 home runs, 3 home runs, 11 home runs, respectively. But the important thing to note is they have a lot of really good bats, and they've managed to kind of survive being raided via pitching. Uh, they've added guys back in. They got some decent arms still. I think they have enough to win that one game play in. Uh, that said, I don't think either one of us would be that surprised if a Brett Jody team managed to get into the postseason and get to a divisional championship series. I don't think that would surprise either one of us in the least bit. I, I agree with that. Yeah. So then just one quick note here on the flip side, if we want to look at uh, Lincoln, because I feel like I should at least mention some of their players before we get out of here. Uh, Kurt Smith, who's apparently retiring at the end of the year, one of the really great indie ball guys. He's having a solid year. 10 home runs, 285, certainly solid. Birds hitting 278, long 277. Vidal, 288 with 15 home runs. Josh Altman being a, apparently a 2020 player with 26 home runs and 20 stolen bases as a shortstop being very, very good. Kind of surprised he hasn't had his contract purchased, in all honesty. Forrest Alday, another really solid player, bending over 325. And pitching-wise, uh, it's a Brett Jody team, so there's good pitchers on there. I mean, Stallings has looked good in his limited action. Puglisi has done great. Uh, Kinman's done great. And there's a slew of other guys that have pitched very well for them. But in the end... Uh, I think Cleveland just has more firepower, and even more so, it doesn't matter. They're playing Kansas City next. That's not going to be a long series. Yeah, I, I agree. I think no matter what, I think Kansas City definitely takes care of business with home field advantage. Yeah. So, on that note, uh, we'll do more of an AA baseball a preview next week when we have our playing games done, and we have our divisional series set, and we can really talk about it. Uh, but it's midnight here on the East Coast. I got to edit this and get it up. We've been talking for a while. I think we managed to put together a 90-minute show that was well worth the day's delay on it. And, uh, yeah, there was a lot to talk about, but we got through it. I agree. This is a fun show. Yeah. So, oh, but what, before you get to the plugs, yeah. one quick thing I need to add before my actual thing to add. All right. Uh, breaking news. Oh, did you notice we forgot to do? The, I'm gonna, you know, what, I'm gonna say Lancaster, the Lancaster Barnstormers ERA check. I totally forgot until this moment yeah, exactly. Don't worry, I got you covered. I got you covered. I know you, you bailed me out on this one. I appreciate I that. Got, don't worry about it. That's what I'm here for. I know. See, this they co-host of the year. Their ERA is down to seven point oh eight. Oh shit! Did. And they, not only that, they are no longer the worst pitching team in the Atlantic League. Oh my god, I'm gonna have to add an applause effect in for that alone. Oh my god. Gastonia, Gastonia what are you Honey doing? Hunters have taken the top spot. Gastonia, man. Get your new mascot who's apparently named Bam and is a very creepy looking badger. It looks honestly more like a skunk. <laughs> Get him to drive you home because you are drunk. What are you doing right now? Or maybe get him on the mound. <laughs> Can't do worse, apparently, at the 726. Oh, my God. This is... 
like obviously they're not closing in on anybody else anytime soon but this is this is well this is too much for me too much for me i think we just gotta get out of here so we, we can can't i can't handle this craziness here. anymore this is too much uh, i think i yeah, i think we gotta go just so we can digest it and I think know. about it for a week how am i gonna how am i gonna sleep with that information now but I don't know. If you're gonna, yeah, if you're gonna wind up lying awake tonight, like I am after that information, here's what you can do: you can follow the show on Twitter <laughs> at IndieBallPod. Now that's a smooth transition. At <laughs> IndieBallPod on Twitter, on Instagram at ALPB underscore News, and at IndieBallReport. You can do those are great places too because they found out before anybody else that this episode was not going to be up on Saturday, but Sunday instead. And then I decided to throw up a little thing on the feed so that way people weren't like, where the hell is the show? But th- that's really a great place to stay up to date with all the information as it happens. And also, whenever we hit the hashtag Indie Ball After Dark time, that just starts to go off the rails. But the little community that is established really has fun with it. So that's why we're going to keep this up here. And you're going to see a tweet like that before I start editing this thing tonight. That said... You can also subscribe to the show wherever you find podcasts. Tune in, Stitcher, Spotify, Podomatic, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Deezer. Literally just about everywhere except for like iHeartMedia. That doesn't show up whenever I try to submit there because they said I already did, but they never actually approved. It's a pain in the ass. We're working on that. But just literally just about anywhere you can find shows, you can find our show. So if you're able to, be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to help the show grow. So that way we can get better sponsorship ads and apparently like chewing tobacco, which I'm kind of in a moral gray area on promoting chewing tobacco. I'm not going to lie. So I'd like to find something that's not a moral gray area. So let's try and get on that. Uh, Likewise, you can find all the articles that we put up online as social media posts in an article form on the website, which is IndieBallReport.com, as well as the show notes, show descriptions, and all the episodes, plus much more. So check that out when you get the chance. And just like that, we've reached the end. So do we have anything else left to add? So my thing to add this week, it's a bit of a personal thing because I don't, I don't like to talk about myself very much. All right. But I, I felt it's a, it's indie ball related, so I'll talk about it this week. Um, on Monday, on Labor Day, if this is your thing, uh, I am calling. I'm going to be a play-by-play broadcaster for the Labor Day matchup between the Lancaster Barnstormers and Long Island Ducks. Now uh, that is excited, cool. Very excited for that, as someone who's watched the Atlantic League for 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 quite a while. Very excited to call that and hopefully get some, some good insight on a lot of the players. Uh, so really excited for that. Give me at one thirty. If you want to listen, uh, I'll, I'll, uh, I'll have Nick put a link uh, to the live stream. of It's, it's only radio. Uh, yeah. Unfortunately, it's not like connected to their YouTube stream or anything. But uh, if, that's, if that's something you're interested in, I'll give Nick a link uh, to uh, throw into the, uh, into the show notes. Uh, is that something you want to listen to at, at 1.30 Eastern on Labor Day? First off, congratulations on that. That is a really cool accomplishment to have. And I will certainly be listening to that. And once you get me that link, it'll be in the show notes and we'll tweet it out. We'll get it on the Instagram. We'll promote the hell out of that because that is really cool. So be sure <laughs> to put that down the schedule for tomorrow at 1.30, you said? Yes, 1.30. 1.30. So Not be bad. sure to set your clocks for that. 
Uh, that that is actually really cool though. Congratulations on that. I appreciate it. I, I'm very I'm very excited. I hope it goes well. I'm sure it will. I mean, look how well this show went today. <laughs> <laughs> we'll leave that statement on its own. <laughs> but yeah. but uh, I I think last yeah I, it's hard, that's a hard act to follow up. But uh, I think last week I mentioned something like I was going to talk about fall movies, but I realized that Labor Day kind of still is considered that summer box office. So before I do like a summer movie recap, which is why I originally think I said I was going to do, I, I need to see a couple other movies that came out this kind of weekend, mainly the the whatever the latest Marvel is. I think it's like Shang-Chi. So next week, I will do a deep dive into movies. This week, I'm just going to say it was a great vacation in the Outer Banks. It was really great. Uh, enjoyed it a lot. There was some good food. There was a pool at the kind of like house that we were staying at that I spent most of my vacation in. It's just a really, really nice place, and uh, I highly recommend the Outer Banks. Likewise, picked a good week to go away, because apparently the state of New Jersey like half washed away while I was in North Carolina, so I guess it's a good thing we kind of missed that. Uh, but yeah, hopefully everyone stayed safe. I know a lot of people were affected by the flooding, I even got a little bit of water in the basement, so I know that's like minor compared to some people whose houses quite literally exploded in the state, so uh, hopefully they're able to get on their feet sooner than later, and obviously uh, the Somerset team that now is, you know, like trying to ring out their ballpark that was half submerged for a day and a half, so I just want to kind of point out to the flooding, uh, hopefully everyone gets back on their feet sooner than later, that's... About all I got to add. Next week we'll have a more fun thing to add from my end. But that and also we'll be sure to park 15 minutes to just review uh, Will's job calling that Long Island game. I'm going criti- to be taking notes and critiquing. Take, take notes. So uh, the, the one thing, have, should, what, what do you think I should go with on the broadcast? Lancaster or Lancaster? Go with Lancaster for a little bit just to kind of needle him. But then uh, I'd say Lancaster is probably the best course because technically that is correct. But until next week, don't forget to play ball. We'll find out if it worked in an hour and a half from now when I'm editing this. Exactly.